0: Welcome to OBEHAVE, the behavioural science podcast from Ogilvy Consulting.
1: But you can take something, not change the objective thing at all, and by giving it a different context or a different frame, you can make it an entirely different thing in terms of the emotional effect and therefore the resulting behaviour.
2: Hello nudgers. My name's David Fanner and you're listening to OBEHAVE, a podcast by Ogilvy Consulting. Today, we'll open with a question. Are you more of a tight person or a loose person? Are you more ordered or more open? Well, last year at Nudge Stock, we heard from Michelle Gelfand, who uses various methods from field research to experiments to neuroscience to study what this means and the consequences for people, companies and countries. She is a distinguished university professor of psychology at the University of Maryland, College Park, and she has won more awards and been published in more journals than I could possibly list. So let's listen to a talk from NudgeDoc titled The Secret Life of Social Norms. So
0: I want to start my talk with a very serious question, which is what kind of Muppet are you? Joking aside, are you more like Cookie Monster, Animal and Ernie? Who are probably nonconformist and think outside of the box and they bring mayhem many places they go, emanating chaos? Or are you more like Sam the Eagle and Kermit the Frog and Bert, who embody order? Think about Bert, who enjoys his hobbies of collecting paper clips, is always impeccably dressed, and is always providing reality checks to Ernie, his crazy roommate. And these beloved Muppet characters reflect something powerful about human psychology, as Dahlia Whitwick at Slate noted long ago and they reflect what I call as the difference between having a tight or a loose mindset. People who have a tight mindset notice rules around them, they have a strong desire to avoid mistakes, and they have a lot of impulse control, and they love structure and order. Others with loose predispositions don't recognize rules as much, they're more willing to take risks, perhaps more impulsive, and they're more comfortable with disorder and ambiguity. And while we can all change our tight-loose mindset quickly, think about sitting in a movie theater where your inner Bert comes out or in a party where your inner Ernie comes out, nevertheless, we tend to each have a default in the tight-loose mindset continuum based on our culture, gender, class, occupations, and other factors. And I want to note that this distinction of tight-loose is not new. It actually goes way back. Herodotus, uh, the father of history, noticed it when he traveled the world 450 B.C., and later, people like Ruth Benedict and Pierto Pelto, both anthropologists, started noticing it in small-scale societies and putting it on the scientific map. And more recently, I've been studying this with my team across nations, organizations, even within our own households. And it turns out that the tightless distinction can help explain a lot about the world. It can explain why city clocks are so much more accurate in some countries, why American dogs are so overweight, including my own beloved dog, Pepper. They can also explain what organizations need to understand about their culture, their people, their practices, their leaders when they're trying to merge with other organizations. And on a more serious note, they also help us understand why some countries suffered far more COVID cases and deaths than others. And today I'm gonna give you a brief introduction to this research program, taking you on a journey to understand what is tight-loose, why does it evolve, and what consequences does it have for human groups? And even more importantly, how do we negotiate it? How do we pivot from tight to loose? or vice versa when necessary. So let me go ahead and start with just saying you can go around the world and see lots of variation in terms of how strict or permissive groups are. In Singapore, you might get fined, for example, for chewing gum or littering or not flushing the toilet in public settings. If you go over to New Zealand, you might see people walking barefoot in banks or burning couches um, in university settings. Other ways you see this contrast are places like Germany where you might see people waiting patiently on the street corner, even if there's no cars around. Whereas in my my home state of New York City, you see people jaywalking constantly, even with kids in tow. You might see people, for example, smoking weed uh, in places like the Netherlands, whereas the same behavior can actually um, get you uh, imprisoned in other cultures. All of these contrasts reflect something really fundamental about how strict or loose social norms are around the world. Sometimes these rules, unwritten rules for behavior, get more formalized in terms of laws and codes, but what we know is that cultures around the world vary in terms of how tight they are, how strict their rules are, and how loose they are, how much they afford permissiveness and a wider range of behavior. So I want to take you on a little journey of how we understand the cultural logic of tight and loose. And what we first did in this research program is we started to look internationally and see whether we can actually measure tight and loose across nations. All nations have tight and loose elements, but what we found is that places like Japan and Singapore and Austria tended to veer tight. Places like the US, Brazil, Spain, and the Netherlands tended to lean loose. And what we found is that tight and loose conferred a really predictable trade-off across nations. So tight cultures have a lot more order. They have more monitoring and more police per capita, and they also have lower crime. They also tend to be more uniform in what people wear and what people drive. And we found even city clocks on streets were more synchronized in tight cultures, whereas it was harder to tell what exact time it was in some loose cultures. Tight cultures that have a lot of strict rules also tend to have people who have high self-control. And this manifests in things like lower debt, lower alcoholism, and even lower weight in tight as compared to loose cultures, including pets. Loose cultures, though, while they might have more disorder, tend to corner the market on openness. They tend to have more tolerance toward a wide range of types of people. They tend to be more creative in terms of their idea generation, and they also tend to welcome change. What we found, though, is that tight and loose are not random. Um, In fact, there's a certain logic around why tightness evolves. And what we found was that groups that have a lot of threat, whether from mother nature, think chronic disasters or um, scarcity of resources, or mother or human nature, think how many times a country has been invaded across its its time, uh, its history, or pathogen outbreaks or density. And the logic is simple. When you have a lot of collective threat, you need stricter rules to coordinate to survive. And that's exactly what we found in this paper in Science. We found that cultures that had high population density, as far back as 1500, deprivation, territorial threat, disasters, and pathogen prevalence tended to be tighter. Now, not all tight cultures have threat. and Not all loose cultures are an easy street, but it tends to be something that helps us to explain in part differences in tight, loose. This also is not just found in the modern era. And More recently, we partnered with anthropologists to analyze ethnographies across smaller scale societies in many different domains of life like law and order, socialization, gender, marriage, and so forth. And we found very similar patterns that those groups that had more threat, density, warfare, pathogens, etc., tended to be tighter. We can also look at this at the state level. As Chris mentioned, we find in the U.S. 50 states that the tight states have had more collective threat. This has also been replicated across the 30-plus provinces in China. And tight loose also is not a static construct. We can partner uh, with people outside of our discipline in psychology and try to measure change in time in tight, loose. And that's exactly what we did in a recent paper. We worked with computational linguists to analyze millions of words in Google news and books. You can see that we can create tight, loose dictionaries and see how is tight and loose been changing in the US for the last 200 years. And what you can see is that actually we become far less tight and far more loose over the last 200 years. And this change is also associated with this tight-loose trade-off of order and openness. As our culture has been in the US getting more loose, it's also associated with shifts in more creativity, but also less order, like higher debt. We can also go from books to brains and see the same trade-off in the mind. I've been partnering with neuroscientists to look at how people react in the brain when they're witnessing norm violations. So I can put an EDG cap on you and measure your neuroactivity when I tell you that Amanda is at a dance lesson and she, is, is at a tango lesson, she's dancing, that's normal. But what about when Amanda's at an art museum and she's dancing? What we find in this work is that when people who have very high levels of neural activity to these kind of violations have higher self-control but lower openness and creativity on other tasks. So which is better, tight or loose? If you had to design a world, what would you want to live in, tight or loose? This is a question that's been asked across the centuries by philosophers, economists, psychologists. And we know that people like Plato and Confucius and Hobbes would vote for tightness. Hobbes had a particularly negative view of human nature. And on the flip side, people like John Stuart Mill and Freud would vote for looseness. Freud thought that rules make us neurotic. What's the answer? What do the data suggest? What we find is actually... Maybe it's neither. Maybe it's the fact that groups have to veer tight or loose for good reasons, but as they get too tight and very oppressive or too loose, completely chaotic and uncoordinated, that this is maladaptive. And this is what we find and call the Goldilocks principle of tight-loose. In recent research, we've found that extremely hot, tight and extremely loose cultures have higher depression, higher suicide, higher blood pressure, and lower happiness. So the extremes are the things we have to look out for. And you can think about the Goldilocks principle all around us at different levels of analysis. So for example, we know in decision-making research that when people are given too little choice, too tight, or too much choice, too loose, they tend to really perform poorly in decision-making tasks. Likewise, think about the leaders that you've been working with over your lifetime. We know from research that leaders that provide too little discretion, they're more authoritarian, and directive. At the same time, those that provide too much discretion, who are laissez-faire and, um, and providing too uh, little direction, are also seen as maladaptive and not effective. Likewise, even parenting has the same logic. We know from developmental psychology work that parents that are either overly strict, very helicopter-like, but also overly lax, tend to produce kids that are not as well-adjusted. So we need to think about social norms as things that we need to actively negotiate. And this is what I talk about in terms of tight loose balance. We need to identify contexts where we can loosen tight norms, where we need to do that, where they've gotten um, too tight. On the flip side, we need to be aware of contexts where we need to tighten loose norms. This is what I call tight loose ambidexterity. And I think social norms are one of the most powerful human inventions that we have but we also can negotiate them as needed. Let me give you two examples of ways that I think this is important, first in the organizational context and then in societal context. So in organizations, we know that organizations follow some of the similar logic as nations in terms of tight loose. Tight organizational cultures have people who tend to be conscientious and careful. Their practices are emphasize standardization and efficiency, they're more formal and and have a lot of training. And they tend to have leaders who are uh, are autonomous and confident. Uh, These organizations tend to evolve in contexts where there's a lot of safety threats or a lot of uh, accountability, uh, where rules help save lives. Loose cultures, by contrast, have people who are more open, more risk-taking, practices more flexible and experimental and informal, and their leadership tends to be very collaborative and visionary. They tend to operate in contexts where there's less threat in general. And even in the same organization, we can see variation within tight and loose. But what happens when organizations get too tight or too loose is something that we really need to be concerned with. Overly tight organizations are helicopter-like, ultra-standardized, having rules for almost, almost everything, where people tend to be walking on eggshells. On the flip side, overly loose organizations can be very chaotic, lack any reliability and oversight, highly unpredictable and missing deadlines, and so forth. And here's where we need to really pivot and think about how do we transform uh, these cultures to be more balanced. And we need to negotiate them by first and foremost doing a cultural assessment in terms of tight and loose. And then we can start thinking about how do we loosen tight cultures, what I call flexible tightness. How do we tighten up loose cultures, insert some structure into those systems. And I've been working with a lot of different organizations to do this. So just by way of introduction, If we want to loosen tight groups, I call it the ease model, we have some fundamental things we can start thinking about. We can examine if a rule is really necessary, allow exploration and unstructured time, and shift to a decentralized structure, encourage pushback. This helps to achieve more balance when groups are getting too tight. On the flip side, we know some organizations start getting too loose, and I call this the secure model, things that we can start to do to insert some structure into these systems. We can set clearer benchmarks, establish more structure, centralize rather than decentralize, upholding oversight and emphasizing reliability, and also enforcing more rules. Leaders, of course, are key in this process of tight, loose ambidexterity, Uh, And the devil is in the details, but you can read more about this in uh, my book, Rulemakers, Rule Breakers. So let me shift now to COVID. This is the final thing I want to talk about um, and how this construct has been relevant for what we've witnessed uh, during this awful pandemic. Back in March of 2020, I published an op-ed in the Boston Globe getting worried about this and and, and trying to talk about um, cultural tightness and looseness and the history of this construct and the idea that during times of collective threat, We need to tighten temporarily and part of me uh, was sounding this alarm bell but part of me was also thinking well my computer simulations a lot of our research in the laboratory suggests that people do naturally tighten under threat but of course that didn't happen all around the world Um, and actually i've stumbled into a different literature called evolutionary mismatches coming from evolutionary biology that really are important to think about during times of threat And the basic gist is that traits that evolve in one environment can be highly disadvantageous in a different environment. Part of this is because changes happen very rapidly. Evolution is a gradual process. And people have been applying this idea to things like obesity and drug addiction and gambling, and also to uh, non-humans. The famous example of the dodo bird was a fearless bird in Mauritius, who was very, very uh, welcoming of humans who were a real threat, but they didn't realize it, and they wound up becoming extinct within a generation. I started wondering about, do the liabilities of looseness, are there liabilities of looseness during collective threat? These very traits that make loose cultures very innovative and creative, can they be a liability? We started developing computational models, first and foremost, and we were starting to see that actually it's true that in our models, loose cultures, the green line here, take longer to cooperate under threat and on the right side of this graph, this is measuring aliveness uh, rates and they have in the computer models uh, less survival. Then we started analyzing cases and deaths across countries. And in a paper that we published recently in the Lancet Planetary Health, we can see that it's a basic correlation that tight cultures had far fewer cases per capita than loose cultures. Um, and of course, um, there's variability. Not all tight cultures did well and not all loose cultures did poorly. And also there's other vari- variables that affect cases and deaths. And in fact, what you'll see on this crazy screen next is just we're controlling for lots of other factors to see if culture matters. And it did. Even if we test uh, control for wealth and inequality and population density and government interventions, we still find reliably that tight cultures tended to have fewer cases per capita. They also had fewer deaths per capita as compared to loose cultures. Again, this is controlling for uh, lots of different factors. What we found that was really astonishing was that in samples that we had access to, this was 25 nations coming from YouGov data, that the percentage of people who said that they were scared of COVID varied dramatically around the world. And tight cultures had far more fear of COVID From the very beginning, from the first 100 days since a case was found in that country, but also throughout the pandemic until uh, the later fall of 2020, loose cultures had far less fear compared to tight cultures that had only 50% of people who were scared of catching COVID. So you can think about this threat single that's really important for tightening got hijacked uh, in looser cultures. So I want to just end on The idea that we need to harness the power of social norms to pivot when necessary. We need to start thinking about diagnosing tight and loose in our everyday settings and think about how to be ambidextrous. I think COVID provides a lot of lessons that we've learned. First and foremost, as the last speaker said, we need clear and consistent messaging. COVID is very different than other threats, like in the United States. We tightened easily after 9-11 or other types of uh, terrorism types of threats, but COVID is abstract um, and we require really clear messaging that this is serious. And we need to remind people in loose cultures in particular that temp- tightness is temporary. In fact, our models show that the faster we tighten, the faster we reduce the threat and the faster we can get back to our freedom. Of course, some countries got this right. Um, New Zealand was very ambidextrous. Uh, they were able to, in our, in our data, they're famously loose, the Kiwis, Um, But they were able to come together through great leadership and through people sacrificing temporarily freedom for constraint, were able to get a handle on COVID. So I will just end by saying that you can now uh, go and take our tight, loose mindset quiz uh, on the website uh, to assess your inner Muppet. And I look forward to talking with Chris about some other questions. Please uh, see my book if you're interested for more information.
1: Terrific, thank you. Quick question um, on the states before we go to companies. On the states, something a conundrum. You take states in the south of the US that you think uh, you know that you've indexed is quite tight in culture. and yet their pandemic behavior was not what you would expect from a tight culture. In other words, complete rejection of collectivist behavior or mask wearing or something like that. Why the disconnect?
0: Yeah, this is such a fabulous question. And, you know, a lot of social scientists have been really befuddled about this because decades of research have shown that conservatives, as well as people in tight states, are more sensitive to threat. But I think what we learned is that people in tighter cultures are also very sensitive to their leaders. In fact, they look very strongly to their independent, confident leaders to tell them uh, what's important. And what we saw here is that in contexts where leaders... We're not very nervous about this threat; that we're not concerned about it. People followed suit, so in a way, we can think about you can follow the wrong norm uh, depending on who's who you're paying attention to, and that's what I think happened during COVID. Uh, we've tried to nudge, by the way, conservatives and liberals in the U.S. We had a pre-registered tournament um, where we um, really randomized uh, eight different nudges from discussed types of prompts to let's do this together, to let's get back to the economy if we just wear masks. Um, And none of them worked. Not a single one nudged anyone because there was such partisanship in this tournament. Uh, And so it's really something that we've learned uh, is very important to see what kind of threat and who the leaders are in, in order to predict people's behavior.
1: So it seems that every single company has either been through or is in the middle of or going to go through some kind of transformation. Um, and yet if a leader uh, and multiple leaders, managers are trying to bring their people through a transformation, it seems essential to diagnose the way you recommend where they are. Are, are they loose? Are they tight? Are they mixed? Are they pocketed perhaps? Some offices is loose, some offices is tight. And yet I think very few companies do that. So related to that, mm-hmm. is it more difficult to tighten a loose culture? or to loosen a tight culture?
0: This is a great question. And I'll just mention that we have new measures of tight loose for organizations to help leaders diagnose where is uh, the organization in terms of how strict or permissive their norms are in different domains uh, in terms of, for example, appearance and language and where you work, how you work. So we are able to provide a profile for where organizations are, um, whether it's specific units or across the whole organization. And to your second question, Uh, Our research shows that actually it's much harder to change tight cultures to become looser than the reverse. Um, There's a lot of cultural inertia when it comes to cultural change. So we really need to introduce changes in tight cultures uh, in terms of gradual changes, not big changes. We need to get buy-in from people and we need to be aware that it's going to take longer to go from tight to loose than from loose to tight.
1: And in doing so, uh, will leaders have more success with a loose culture by saying, as you suggested, I think, hey, the tightening is temporary. Um, You know, we're not going to make an authoritarian rule here, but we're going through a very tough transformation. and So we need to act differently
0: temporarily. I think that's exactly where I would put the money, (laughs) that, you know, people really get concerned. You need to think about the underlying threats that people face during these changes, where people in loose groups, they're worried about autonomy, tight groups are worried about control. So we need to deal with those underlying needs and we need to help get buy-in in in loose cultural groups. It has to be very bottom up to help people understand why is this change necessary? uh, What can it afford us? I think we need to understand that both tight and loose are essential to any system. We want to try to have both. We want to try to maximize order and openness in in our systems and we can do it. Um, We can do it at the organizational level, the national level. um, And so I'm optimistic that you know, we can pivot when we understand this cultural code.
1: Hey, I lived in Singapore for five years, and I have to correct just one thing on your sign there. It's no longer uh, illegal to chew gum. It's illegal to deal. You can chew, but you can't deal.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But Singapore made
1: me very... Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, you know, it's really about bringing in large quantities of gum into the country. That's really a problem. And, you know, Americans or other people look at this and say, that's ridiculous. Why can't you bring gum? And when you think about Singapore, um, it's very highly densely populated. It has over 20,000 people per square mile. And, you know, when you have that many people per square mile, gum tends to cause a lot of problems. And that's what happened in Singapore. People were chewing the gum and putting it all the place. It was causing problems. And Lee Kuan Yew, who is a good cultural psychologist, as far as I'm concerned, said, hey, guys, we're going to have to ban this tasty treat. I'm sorry. You know, this is really causing too many problems. Uh, And so it has a certain logic. You can use gum for medicinal purposes and so forth, but you can't just bring in a whole bunch of gum to the country. So understanding this can make us a little more empathic.
1: Last quick question in about 30 seconds, so imagine you want to bring more innovation and creativity to your company, but you find that your company culture is more tight than loose. What can you do about it?
0: Well, I think you know we need to understand that you know these norms have been put in place for a long time. The kind of people we've attracted to the organization have tighter mindsets, people we've retained have tighter mindsets, and the practices and the leaders there have all been aligned to make tightness important and useful. So we need to start thinking about all those different levels, the people that we're bringing in, the practices, the leadership. And uh, as I mentioned, we have certain recommendations on how you can, you know, sort of ease that, that structure to be more loose um, through gradual uh, changes. Uh, but we need to make sure that, you know, we understand that this system is going to take a little while uh, to pivot.
1: Dr. Michelle Gelfand, thanks so much for spending time with us. You've given us so much to work on and think about. We really appreciate you joining Nudge Stock. Thank you.
2: Hello again, Nudges. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did when I was frantically live tweeting as many quotes as possible from this talk last year at Nudge Stock. What really stands out to me is that no matter how naturally tight or loose you or your culture are, there can be flex. You can, even temporarily, be more ambidextrous, and so can the culture that you're part of. So that's it for today. If you missed Nudge Stock last year or can't get enough, head over to Ogilvy Consulting on YouTube, where we've uploaded all of the talks from all of the Nudge Stocks of the past nine years. And if you'd like more regular updates from us, follow us on Twitter at Ogilvy UK. Until next time, goodbye Nudges.